the Wasatch Report. This is episode number 62. Today, Jeff Johnson and I, I'm Suzanne Sherman, by the way, are going to talk about the recently passed Texas ban on abortion. You can follow us on Anchor FM. Our podcasts are uploaded there, and from there, they are launched to about seven other platforms. But you can support us directly from the Anchor page, and we would appreciate any help we can get. Please like, share, and tell your friends about any of the podcast platforms you're using. Direct some traffic our way. And once again, you can support the show directly from the Anchor FM page. My website is SuzanneCSherman.com. And we also talk about self-reliance. If you're interested in that, check out my other podcast, The Red Hot Chili, C-H-I-L-L-Y, Prepper, also on Anchor. And if you go to my website, we have a lot of blogs. I've been pretty busy lately uh, dealing with preparedness, especially with regards to food preservation. We do have a Facebook page, Suzanne Sherman's The Wasatch Report Radio Show. And on Twitter, the handle is at Cowgirl Esquire ESQ. We have a suggested reading page on my website that I have been working on. I set up a new Amazon affiliate account with them. So if you would like to also support us by not paying any extra money, but buying some great books that we have on there from my website, that's another way to help us out at no additional cost to you. Speaking of suggested reading, please check out the Lost Frontier Handbook, Learn the Ways of the Pioneers. It is your ultimate guide to self-reliance. That is at www.lostfrontierhandbook.com. Hey, Jeff, I saw you sent me something today. You're starting a, a newsletter. I think it's called The Paradigm Shift. Are you ready to tell us a little bit about that? Oh, I'm not quite sure what where that's going to go. I just saw that there's some <laughs> news site called Substack, and a bunch of people are going over there. You can write kind of uh, articles, and then it'll post it to Twitter and Facebook and stuff. So I wrote a very short couple paragraph uh, article and uh, just to try it out and I'll see how far it gets. If it gets any play, then maybe I'll go over there and start writing some stuff. If it just sits there and nobody ever sees it, I, I guess it's just like everything else. Facebook high uh, tech is uh, going to block anyway. So who's, who knows? We'll see. Yeah, but it's the paradigm shift, just like my old show was the paradigm shift. And we'll see what happens. I, I don't know. We'll find out. Outstanding. Well, let us know how we can follow that. And uh, so I want to talk today, I want to talk about this article. Uh, this is the one that was announcing uh, what happened in Texas. And as you know, this is from CBS News, Texas. I love their headline. Texas upends the legal landscape with Supreme Court decision on abortion ban. It's interesting. They're going to be enforcing this abortion measure. It's, it's not that they are simply criminalizing abortion in the state of Texas. They are going about this a different way. And it's going to sound familiar uh, to you. So hang on and we'll get to that in a minute. But they're calling this the nation's most restrictive abortion measure. And the Supreme Court decided to allow this to remain in effect. I love how they use this jargon. The Supreme Court allowed a sovereign and independent state that delegated the powers to the federal government, anything not delegated remained with the states. But they have everything inverted here in the press, the media uh, perpetuates this fallacy here. So this was a 5-4 decision. And the four that uh, were in the minority here that would have not let this stand or would have reviewed this was Sotomayor, Breyer, Kagan, and good old Roberts. Essentially, now this uh, anti-abortion legislatures are just watching what happens in Texas. 
And check this language out. And this is from a law professor. And I'm going to be addressing this as well in a little bit. And if Texas gets away with this, absolutely, they're going to start passing these types of laws all over the country. This from uh, Jesse Hill, who is a law professor at Case Western Reserve University. The Texas Right to Life is an anti-abortion rights group, said the, the following, that's the Supreme Court decision that it hopes to replicate our success across the nation. People are also equally at fault. These are the people that want their version of nationalism across this continental landmass. In Florida, state lawmakers have said this legislature intends to consider a bill mimicking the Texas law in light of the Supreme Court's decision. We cannot, as a movement, if we're trying to get our policy goal of saving preborn lives and offering better alternatives to women, we cannot depend on district attorneys to get us there. We cannot depend on criminal penalties to do that. Now, this is what I was saying. From what I've seen so far is this is not criminalizing abortion like we've seen uh, other states try to do in the past. So under this law's enforcement scheme, private citizens rather than state officials are authorized to file civil lawsuits against alleged violators of the law. Uh, this will be the clinics, the providers, or here, even somebody who helps a woman get an abortion. So in the state courts, it provides a monetary incentive for them to do so. If the suit is successful, the plaintiff is entitled to at least $10,000 from the violator. Jeff, I have a few questions here. You know, we always have an issue of standing. And obviously, I'm not reading the law as it was passed. I'm reading what, what you know, how it's being explained in the media here. So who is going to have standing to sue? You would think if somebody was going to sue, maybe it would be the father of the baby. How far out does this go? Is it going to be the baby's paternal, maternal grandparents? How about siblings? Uh, hey, I don't want you killing my niece or nephew. Who is going to have standing? Is it going to be just somebody who doesn't want someone to have an abortion and sue a driver? I don't know how ridiculous this can go out. What, what troubles me is that they are looking to private citizens to effectuate the goals of a government mandate. Does that sound familiar? Oh, it's a private company. They can do what we want. But Joe Biden said with regards to COVID mandates, they're going to incentivize private entities to force the government's will on private citizens. That's a part of this that I really don't like. I really don't get into the whole abortion issue. I have my my personal feelings on it. I will tell you right now, I do not like it. I absolutely hate abortion, but I'm going to be addressing this issue from a, a legal perspective. And I'm not going to let, unlike the corporate media, my personal bias, biases affect, adversely affect the analysis that we have here. And this is something, folks, that you do not hear in the corporate media. So, you know, this is why it's so important to support shows like this. And you can do so again on my website, SuzanneCSherman.com, or by going to anchor over to the Wasatch Report and supporting us for the first time. Let's talk a little bit about some of the responses we're seeing as a result of this. Uh, AOC, of course, is uh, talking about packing the Supreme Court. They are saying that, well, we are going to have to just start, uh, we're going to have to get more justices on the court. They talked about this earlier on in the Biden administration, and this isn't the first time they've done that. Everybody remembers FDR 
tried to do this and what they call uh, the switch in time that saved nine. When at the start of his New Deal policies, the Supreme Court was doing their job and striking these proposals and this bit, uh, legislation down because they were blatantly unconstitutional. When he threatened to pack the court, they capitulated and went from vanguards and guardians of the Constitution to black robed rubber stamp messiahs. So that was all it took. We're going to see if stuff, you know, this type of threat is going to cause the Supreme Court to back down. So it's going to be interesting. If you want to hear more or learn, read more about that, uh, the switch in time that saved nine and FDR's court packing policies, again, on my website, suggested reading page at SuzanneCSherman.com. I have the politically incorrect guide to the Constitution by Kevin Goodsman, and he goes into that and explains it very, very well. So this is something that I found um, really interesting. They, I, as soon as they have this defeat here, they are saying that they're going to pack the Supreme Court, demanding action after the court declined to halt this law. And this was on Wednesday. Republicans promised to overturn Roe versus Wade, and they have. And they really haven't, but in effect, what they have done uh, is to allow the states to, by implication here, now come up with their own abortion laws because they did not stop Texas, so they can be, re uh, they can they can uh, restrict abortions. But guess what? They always have the power to do so. Roe versus Wade was never law; it was a Supreme Court opinion. The Supreme Court, the federal judiciary, does not make the laws. I submit to you that you might want to check out Government by Judiciary. And that's by Raul Berger. That's not on my list. I was not able to find one on Amazon. So, uh, Jeff, these, these kind of books are getting really, really hard to find. Justice Sotomayor and uh, Justice Breyer and Kagan joined in her dissent. She said that a majority of justices had opted to bury their heads in the sand she said this is presented with an application to adjoin a flagrantly unconstitutional law engineered to uh, prohibit women from exercising their constitutional right and evade judicial scrutiny. So the Supreme Court did not actually overturn Roe versus Wade, says this article, by rejecting a procedural challenge to Texas's law. It effectively allowed the state to at least temporarily bypass Roe's limits on abortion bans. The truth of the matter is it doesn't matter if it's procedural or whatever. Article 1, Section 8 has nothing to do with abortion. We know that the Supreme Court never had the authority to hear this kind of a case. So now here, here let's see. Nancy Pelosi is also, uh, they're vowing to block the Texas abortion ban. Well, I just wanted to go back to something earlier that you said. You said that these states aren't really bring, uh, picking it up. They're just pushing it off to the public to allow them to sue to get monetary awards for uh, the abortion that was done. So basically what they have done is they've punted. They, they're not, they don't have the guts to actually say, well, we're going to do something about abortion and we're going to abolish it. No, they just said that somebody can... Eh, you know, we'll let you uh, have your little lawsuit, and you you can you're entitled to ten thousand dollars if you win. Woo! Wow, that's they're just so generous. And you know what? 
they're cowards because they didn't even take it up. You know, go ahead, have your little lawsuit. You know, you puny yeah. little people. We're going to take a quick break for our friends at Anchor FM. Then we're going to tell you what, uh, what Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi have to say about this. We'll be right back. And your mind then left you behind I told you the tables would turn Now don't look to me for sympathy Cause baby that bridge has been burned Don't try to explain the dead and the pain Like always your words are just hollow I'm done with it all You make my skin crawl The truth is Welcome back, everybody, to the Wasatch Report. Jeff Johnson and I are talking about the Democrats' response to the Supreme Court's allowing Texas's restrictive legislation on abortion to stand for at least the time being. Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi vowed Thursday to fight this new six-week abortion ban, which escaped an injunction and was left to stand. The Texas, it was a Senate Bill 8, led by Republicans and signed by Greg Abbott in May. It outlines uh, outlaws, I beg your pardon, abortions with a heartbeat that is detectable, which is about six weeks into a pregnancy. I'll tell you something else, Jeff. There's a, Imagine if you had Down syndrome and you're reading this following this in the newspaper. I've actually been reading accounts now and some tweets by politicians saying the problem with this law is that Down syndrome is not able to be detected at that early stage. So it doesn't give parents the opportunity to have the information they need to kill their children if it turns out they have that chromosomal disorder. Very sad. So let me go back to what Joe and Nancy have to say about this. Uh, so they're saying also that it will deny this procedure to about 85% of the patients who seek it in the state. And again, they said the ban is enforced by members of the public who are able to sue anyone who provides or is involved with aiding and abetting abortions that are barred by SB8, including anyone who drives a patient to the procedure. So the Supreme Court voted against an emergency petition from abortion providers and advocates to block the law. Pelosi calls this a catastrophe. She said that the SBA unleashes one of the most disturbing, unprecedented, and far-reaching assaults on healthcare providers, first do no harm, and on anyone who helps a woman in any way access an abortion by creating, and this is, I, I agree with her on this, by creating a vigilante bounty system that will have a chilling effect on the provision of any reproductive health care services. Note, however, see, it seems here like the Republicans took a page out of the Democrat pay playbook, and, and this is exactly how they're pushing people into capitulation and compliance with the CDC and other health mandates that are going around. Well, you know, we're not doing it. We're just allowing the private sector to do it. 
uh, but the, the effect is the same. So it's interesting to me that when they have their own strategy thrown back in their faces, they are uh, having a hissy fit here. The provision is a cynical backdoor attempt by partisan lawmakers to evade the Constitution and the law to destroy not only a woman's right, blah, 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 evade the Constitution. Again, the people that violate it the most chastise others for violating the Constitution when there's, when there's a policy that they disagree with. She criticized the high court for upholding the law without a briefing hearing oral arguments, or providing a full signed opinion. She said the purpose of the law was to destroy Roe versus Wade. As we know, the right to kill a baby is the absolute holy grail of the Democrat platform. And the GOP is too compromised and too concerned with pretending to try to win to really challenge us. They say, well, abortion's never going to be outlawed. It's a losing fight. Let's just focus on maintaining power. I'm not advocating a law one way or the other. What I do want to do is explain how this works within the parameters of the Constitution and the federal as opposed to national system that was initially set up. Returning back to this article, this was from UPI Top News. Here's what's interesting now. Pelosi saying is she wants to codify Road versus Wade, which is essentially she's saying they want to bring up with a Congresswoman Judy Chu's Women's Health Protection Act to enshrine into law reproductive health care for women all across America. But here's the thing. This was never a delegated power. The states never delegated this authority to do this. So the legislation is going to guarantee women access to abortions and to protect doctors who provide them codifying this into law. What they are really trying to do here, what they're saying they're going to do, is to have a constitutional amendment where they are going to take, rather than have the power delegated to them, they're going to amend the constitution by legislative fiat. So they're going to have this act, just like the Controlled Substances Act. There's no constitutional authority for that. So they're modifying the constitution. There is no Article 5 constitutional convention, ratification, none of that. They are just doing it because they have the numbers. Now, who wanted to do that in the last administration? National reciprocity, national con uh, concealed carry reciprocity. I said, hey, folks, that's not constitutional. Well, we got to do it now while we can, while we got our guys in charge. This is what's so annoying is when conservatives chastise the liberals for interpreting the Constitution as a living, breathing document, but then they in turn themselves treat it the same way. Going back to the point here, Biden also condemned the court's decision. He called it an unprecedented assault on a woman's constitutional rights. It unleashes unconstitutional chaos and empowers self-anointed enforcers to have devastating impacts. This law is so extreme, it does not even allow for exceptions in the case of rape or incest. All right, boys and girls, raise your hand if you, for a nanosecond, think Biden came up with that. I'm sure he didn't. But I want to go back <laughs> to something that keeps coming up, this whole thing about yeah. it's not constitutional. Uh, here's uh, my PA constitution. Article 1, Section 1, Inherent Rights of Mankind. All men are born equally free 
and independent and have certain inherent and indefeasible rights, among which are those of enjoying and defending life and liberty. Uh, it goes on from there about property and different things. But life is an indefeasible, unalienable right. And so by them wanting to, by legislative fiat, change the U.S. Constitution to take away people's right to life, they are breaking my Constitution. And so my Constitution is more important than theirs when it comes to that. So in Pennsylvania, our legislature should be defending life because it is the first and most important right, the indefeasible uh, and unalienable right that is even listed in our state constitution. And here's how they get away with these, you know, the obligation of a government to protect life is they dehumanize the unborn by saying, oh, it's a zygote. Uh, it's not viable. We've got a heartbeat, a heartbeat. It's six weeks. And they're saying, well, if there's a heartbeat, you can't kill it. But if you dehumanize it, just like they're using uh, other terms for other people right now, if there's somebody that you disagree with, with regards to certain medical procedures, they're not people with natural immunity. They're the unvaxxed, the dehumanization of people. This is how they get through with these arguments. Because if you dehumanize somebody, it's very easy to treat them in a manner where is if you are taking away their rights or their life, it doesn't really matter because they're just not worth that fight. Interestingly enough, I remember very well when I was in law school in constitutional law and when Roe versus Wade came up, and as in any many of these cases um, in constitutional law, where either the government was requiring something of people or restricting rights of people, there was a three-tier analysis. The most generous in favor of government was what we called the rational basis test, was, was the government's um, activity or legislation rationally related to a legitimate state interest. And the court always ruled against, you know, or, you know, for themselves, for the state on that one. Then there was kind of a mid-tier. It had to be like a substantial relation to an important interest. But then we start looking at strict scrutiny here, where when you're, we were talking about like race, alienage, that sort of thing, where the government had to have a compelling reason to have some sort of law that affects these people. But I remember as we were discussing these three tiers and analyzing it uh, pursuant to Roe, I'm sitting there thinking they're balancing out the mother's privacy interests versus the government's interest, but they really don't talk about the baby's right to life much in here. It's the mother, the government, but they really don't talk about the baby's rights. And that's just kind of ignored. So what we have here is the left is upset because the Texas law is using private citizens to enforce a policy almost on behalf of the government. So if you think about it, like I said earlier, this is exactly what they're doing with the health situation going right now, encouraging private entities to do what the government should be doing or should not be doing, depending on how you look at it. What Texas should do, in my opinion, Jeff, is what Dan Fisher proposed to do in Oklahoma and just say, you know what, we're just going to outlaw this and this is going to be within the providence of the state. We're going to take a quick break for Roxanne and then we're going to take a little bit of a constitutional analysis on, on how this whole thing should be sorting out. We'll be right back after our break for Roxanne. 
for this program has been brought to you by Roxanne, courtesy of Rat Pack Records. Radio Silence is the album and is available on Amazon, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, RatPackRecordsAmerica.com, and RoxanneBand.com. Now, the way the court system is getting involved in this is from the incorporation doctrine. Jeff, you and I have talked about this so many times. Most All my articles for the 10th Amendment Center, you can find those on my website, SuzanneCSherman.com, under published articles, talk about the incorporation doctrine. Jeff, I want to refer everybody to an article I wrote for the 10th Amendment Center, and this does concern firearms, but the way I analyzed and explained the incorporation doctrine is relevant to this case. And this article was called McDonald case was an originalism failure. Let me refer back to the historical context of the Bill of Rights. They do not confer rights upon individuals. They are restrictive in nature. The restrictions fall upon the general government. The first eight amendments merely reiterate that these were areas that were considered hands off to the general government. When he introduced a proposal for a Bill of Rights to Congress, James Madison wanted some of the provisions to be made applicable against the states. Here is how this ties into Texas. He argued in the states, liberty would most likely be threatened as it was when he proposed this idea during the drafting of the constitution in Pennsylvania, his proposal was, was rejected. He didn't get what he initially desired, but he understood the federal as opposed to national nature of the new government, as he explained in Federalist 39. In Federalist 45, he explained that the powers delegated by the proposed constitution are few and defined. Those which are to remain in the state government are numerous and indefinite. The powers reserved to the several states will concern the lives, liberties, and properties of the people and the internal order, improvement, and prosperity of the state. That is exactly what we're talking about here. My question is, why has this become so pervasive where people just don't understand that it is not the proper role for the United States Supreme Court where we have nine politically connected lawyers deciding what's going to be the law of the land? 
When I was in uh, Dallas, I met a gentleman by the name of Don Livingston, amazing philosopher and historian, and the founder of the Abbeville Institute. And I told him about my experience in law school and why lawyers are so inept when it comes to discussing the Constitution. And he asked me to write an article. And it's, again, you can find it on my website. It's called The Problem with Lawyers in the Constitution. Going back to the history of the Philadelphia Convention, and the ratification debates, these records are available for anybody who wants to read them. We have an inversion of power that is taught in the legal education system. I refer to this as the malfeasance of the legal education industry. And Jeff, we see this even in uh, what we're studying for bar review. We have, a, we have one day where we have multiple choice questions only. And they teach you when you're studying for the bar exam, well, if you have two questions and if you see in the answers that there's out of four options, one of the four says the 10th Amendment, another says the 14th Amendment, they said, you don't even have to read it. Just answer the 14th Amendment. It always applies. The 14th Amendment has been used to apply the Bill of Rights to the states. Not getting into all the reasons why right now you can read that article that we quoted. You can find that on my website. And then you can see that that was how it happened. It is not historical. It is not what was intended. The answer lies, what I say here, we have the malfeasance of the legal education industry. Many future lawmakers are lawyers and their understanding of the constitution derives not from studying the history of say the ratification records, but from studying what we call case law. Case law is nothing more than opinions handed down often from left-leaning federal jurists. Why does this matter? Because case law and the historical records are diametrically opposed in the vast majority of instances. Case law emanates from the opinions of the progressive era judges, primarily in the 1930, whose mission became one of acting as a rubber stamp for Franklin Delano Roosevelt's New Deal policies as I mentioned earlier, and using the court as a means to force upon the states their policy preferences. So as aspiring lawyers, we are studying these cases, for instance, in which the Commerce Clause becomes a justification for broad swaths of federal overreach into areas our lives were never imagined by the framers and the ratifiers, hence abortion laws that we're talking about now. We are taught that from the 14th Amendment, rights never before considered spring forth from the Constitution, rights which must be enforceable against the states in direct contravention to the 10th Amendment. How do future lawyers reconcile these contradictions? I told you before, they are always told to defer to the 14th Amendment and ignore state sovereignty and limited government altogether. High scores on exams are awarded for deferring the rulings to the federal judiciary. So to become a lawyer, you must show that your comprehension of the system of government we have today is a complete inversion to that which the ratifying states consented. Practicing attorneys in turn have to draft legal briefs that are also in direct conflict to historical records. We must claim, and I, Jeff, I've done this in court before. I've had to claim that my client's constitutional rights, Fourth Amendment rights applicable to the states vis-a-vis -vis the 14th Amendment have been violated. What we're here uh, before the court to decide. 
And this is what happens. It's as if the state's constitution simply do not exist. Now in California, we would mention some California case law, but that was about it. So remember, this is a system that was rejected on each attempt. So the answer here has to be in the 10th Amendment. So when we talk about abortion now and the issue that's going on in Texas, Federalist 45, I alluded to this earlier, is also something you need to consider. This is what was proposed. This is the stuff that was debated at the ratification conventions. And this was the premise upon which the states consented to and delegated the powers to the general government. In 45, Federalist 45, he explained the powers delegated by the proposed constitution are few and defined, hence Article 1, Section 8. Those which are to remain in the state governments are numerous and indefinite. Gee, that would cover healthcare, um, pretty much everything else, uh, police, drugs. So what we really need to think of when analyzing whether or not the Supreme Court any member of the federal judiciary has the right, has the delegated authority or power to pass judgment or overrule these state laws, the powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. Folks, nothing changed from the 10th Amendment. The interpretation of the 14th Amendment was never one that was historically accurate with its intentions. It was only to constitutionalize civil rights for the freed blacks. So what we're seeing right now is an absolute usurpation of the federal system into a national system that was proposed. The national system was proposed at the Philadelphia Convention by James Madison and Edmund Randolph, and that was rejected outright. What they proposed was a legislative veto over the states, what we see now is a judicial veto, which has the same effect. But it's even worse because we are talking about nine lawyers ruling on the supposed law of the land over about 350 million people. Folks, we went to war to have independence from this kind of one size fits all central government in which all rights and powers were emanating from a system that had no accountability to the people. That was called parliamentary sovereignty. The war for American independence was fought for the right to self-govern, to have social issues decided by the people through their locally elected representatives, by acquiescing to the overreaching of our present national government into areas in which powers were never delegated. We have turned our backs on principles such as state sovereignty, consent of the governed. We have surrendered our revolutionary legacy. All right, everybody. I want to thank you for joining us today. Just wanted to hit this issue and uh, we thank you for listening. I'm Suzanne Sherman, Jeff Johnson here. This has been the Wasatch Report. Thank you for listening.